Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, we are back in full effect in the Detroit Is Different podcast studios. It is July but it actually feels a little bit more like August or maybe early September. But that doesn't mean anything is stopping. The heat is going to continue as I have in one of the big homies in full effect. And he actually came with another big homie. And he came with some beautiful women. He's rolling with creativity, talent, style, as he always has. And uh, the, the whole world has known it and seen it for generations but here, once again, a great interview, one of my more watched interviews already. But this time he's back and he brought the gang with him, as they say. Joe Pep Harris of Undisputed Truth, how you feeling? I'm good, I'm good. How you doing, Gary? Man, everything is everything, as the phrase went in the Donny Hathaway album says. And uh, you came with some talented, talented singers as you've been in the studio working hard. Undisputed truth style, still talking social consciousness, still talking blackness, still talking about raising up the consciousness from the streets, where our people are. And now you're working with Dan Aldrich, and he's in here, he's just laying in the cut. Because he was like, uh, it, you know, it's like, I'm a, this is a bad impression of him. He was like, if you want me to talk, I will, but if not. <laughs> <laughs> he's, 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 a, he's a be about it. Yeah, and, and, and being about it with music for so long, but for so long, a jazz influence. But before we get into like how now we have some of the uh, some of the percussion, the horns, the 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 strings and the and the feel, the wind, the jazz coming in, not just for what some may characterize as R&B. I really think you guys are funk. You know what I'm saying? You guys are funk and soul, man. It's got to be slick some kind of way. We got to try to get a little bit of all of it in. Yep, yep. Yep, and you came with some vocalists. Uh, Miss Evans is in full effect. Miss Evans, how are you today? I'm fine, Carrie. How are you? Everything is everything. As you've been one uh, rolling with that guy right there, a consummate entertainer, fashionable guy, and a uh, heck of a performer all the time for some years now. Undisputed Truth. Uh, give me a little bit of your background with Undisputed Truth. Okay. Um, originally, um, I started off in um, the 70s, early 70s. Um, I'm the original member. Um, back then, I was called Brenda Evans, but I changed my name to BJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, I cut uh, three albums with the Undisputed Truth. And, um, you know, I, I miss it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you were cutting those albums back then. Yes. And uh, you were rolling with another one of my big homies. But also, Mr. Harris, you also were on the road probably with the first tour of my man Butch. Mr. Small. Yes. So what what was it? What was a young Carl Butch like? I'm, I'm going to definitely mess with him. <laughs> oh, well, see, um, Butch and I went together. So, I mean, you know, what can oh, I tell you? It's, it's some secrets that have to be kept. <laughs> oh, man. I, oh, that's going to be it. That's going to be a classic discussion when it's like, oh, oh, oh. So what what was the what was the feel like torn with uh, Undisputed Truth then uh, being so young, traveling the world uh, with Motown? 
for you? Um, actually, um, it was fabulous. Uh, we had, you know, we, we did the chili, what, what they call those joints, chili started, circuit. yeah, chili circuit. We did all of that. But um, the best experience was uh, touring with the Jackson 5 for a whole summer, opening okay. for them. That was, to me, the highlight. All right, now, now in my original interview with Joe, and then just from talks with Joe, even before the interview and after the interview, it's going to be a, a, a bad impersonation to Joe and everything. He was like, yeah, you know, I had to whip him into shape before we really <laughs> went out there. So how was he whipping you guys into shape at a young age? Well, you know what? We all were whipped into shape. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we listen, we were up under Norman Whitfield. And um, he was a no-nonsense kind of a, a producer. Um, we have a lot of respect for him, but it was like once you um, took on, you know, what he wanted you to do, uh, you were going to grow, you know, as an as a artist. You were going to grow because um, he had some ideas that weren't even uh, in effect at that particular time in life. You know, with the psychedelic sound, he brought that in, and he, you know, he used us, um, you know, um, to help him create, mm -hmm. and um, it, it just was an exciting time. Um, our first albums were um, more or less like uh, Fifth Dimension, um, uh, Sly and the Family Stones, you know, um, mm -hmm. then we went into like the Ball of Confusion, um, the psychedelic kind of thing. But when we got to Smiling Faces, we knew that was the hit mm -hmm. automatically. Yeah. Now, now he had an interesting policy. As uh, rest in peace, uh, Mr. Whitfield, I had the opportunity to meet him um, while recording with uh, one of his good friends, Clay McMurray. And, you know, they just be around together, like before it's passing a lot. And he definitely had very interesting takes on what was happening with hip hop and music and what I love most. And, uh, creating music, the process of it. But one of the things that even Joe would talk about was don't listen to a record, come in, get it clean, make the take, then get into the essence of the music. What was that like to, to, to walk into blind faith from a man that's, you know, Grammys worked with, the greatest singers, greatest musicians, and you were, you were a kid. What what was that like? Well, you know what we trusted um, Norman um, to give us the direction that he wanted us to go to, and um, we, sure we were vulnerable being young and everything. But um, who better to work with but some young people that are open-minded and wants to take instructions? You know, so it was it was a. Uh, um, a marriage that was made in heaven. <laughs> okay. And as we talk about marriage made in heaven, you're also here with another vocalist, and she's new in the mix from that mix. But, Miss Jackie, how are you feeling today? I'm doing great. I'm having a wonderful life, and I'm grateful to be with this awesome, groundbreaking, historically wonderful music in the message group. Okay, how, message in the music. <laughs> how did how did it come about? How did you end up uh, singing with Undisputed Truth? Well, um, I've been singing around Detroit for a little while, and um, there was a gentleman that he would ask me periodically to do some things with him, and for him, um, he may have a track or so, and I'd come in and 
sing some things that he would like for me to sing. He's just a, a fine musician and a uh, he played guitar, a great jazz guitar. His name was Robert Lowe. And he he told me one day when I came in to help him with some of his vocal ideas or music ideas, he said, well, um, there's somebody that I want you to meet. He's looking for a vocalist, and I think that you would be great with this particular group and for this gentleman. And I said, sure, I'd love to meet him. You know, and so I got the opportunity to arrange to meet Joe Robert Lowe. Um, may he rest in peace. He's no longer with us now. Mm -hmm. But he introduced me to Joe, and the rest is history. All right, so meeting Joe is, uh, Joe is definitely a consummate performer, uh, big-time performer all the time. Uh, what was it like, that first impression of Joe? Joe is so cool. He's got a mixture of personalities that work really, really well for him. <laughs> uh -huh. He's really comfortable to be around. He's um, very animated. He's full of knowledge. And um, like he remembers everything in regards to his history and the Motown history. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it was just fascinating. I was just really in awe. And um, not to the point where I felt nervous, but very comfortable and very, um, very appreciative. Just mm -hmm. wanting to, you know, that I was in his, in his presence. And how long ago was that? What was that? Um, ten years. That was about ten years ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, and what we wound up doing, he wound up bringing me to California to try me out on some tracks and um, see how pliable, mm -hmm. you know, vocally pliable I could be, or what would work, what wouldn't work. And uh, we came up with some, had a good chemistry, you know, and I thought it went very, very well. He had a great, yeah, and it, that was actually the first time I had gone to California. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So your first trip to Cali, you were in the studio. That I was in the studio. Like a, uh, that's mm. like one of those movie. Uh, that's like one of those movies or something. It was fantastic. I, I was really yeah. Okay, and as we talk a little bit about Joe, back to you, Mr. Ayers, the vocalist that you got. And I know you're serious about how to put together and craft your team when it comes to music. Uh, what what made the mix today of Undisputed Truth? Let me, let me start up. First of all, I think that um, I was trying at that particular time, I was trying to um, to come up with a concept that not, not necessarily going back to the original concept. But when I, uh, when I did, when Robert Bowen introduced me to Jackie and she came out and we talked, and I, her personality and her, her temper. All those things, you know, just you're so easy to work with and so willing to do things that I was like, well, if I could get two more or one more like her, I'd be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, so what I did was um, I asked Jackie, I said, you know, you know school singers like you? <laughs> well, you know, because mm -hmm. I knew that she was the type of person that uh, her surroundings 
with her about who she was. So mm -hmm. if there was any more like that, I was looking for them that could sing. And guess what? <laughs> we have one coming. <laughs> She's on the way here now. She is uh, here. She is here. Okay, we're about to pause and we're going to introduce you to Daisy in two seconds. You know how Detroit is different. It is conversation. Yeah. All right, so we're back in the interview and we have the third vocalist in effect backing Mr. Joe Harris. Daisy, yes, what's sir. happening? What's happening? <laughs> oh, nothing much. <laughs> Okay. All right. So uh, we were talking about uh, being in Undisputed Truth, what it's like singing with Joe and how did it all happen? Uh, he was uh, talking about, Jackie, can you introduce me to somebody else? And then Jackie was like, well, actually, as we speak of it, she's just pulled up and from pulling up <laughs> through the magic of editing in podcasting and video. She right. is here now. Right so, here. Undisputed Truth, what was it like when you joined and uh, meeting Joe and the feel of it? What was it like? Well, it was, it was kind of cool. It was almost like family right off the rip. <laughs> In that, I mean, that uh, Joe actually knew my father years before he met me. Hmm. And I had no idea when Jackie told me about Joe and him needing another singer. I was like, oh, yeah. I was open for the idea. But mm -hmm. uh, I had never met him I, I knew his song mm -hmm. <laughs> and um it was an honor to meet him because he was so cool and laid back mm -hmm. just like family and yep. um it, it's, mm -hmm. it's just been an experience ever since then uh the first thing we did was a pbs show sure. and um so it was like almost immediately we go from hello to hello <laughs> yeah, it's like, hello to uh that's yeah, right uh, you know learn these songs by friday <laughs> right. Right. know these songs we're going out in two weeks okay yes, yes. but yeah it was it was uh it's, it's been an experience it's, it's been fun and uh you know i, I don't know i'm <laughs> i'm glad to be a part in all honesty because uh i, I don't want to not be a part i'll put it that way Mm -hmm. um, just because I've learned so much in this experience. Okay, yeah. now, uh, as a vocalist, uh, before Undisputed Truth, where, where were you singing? What were you doing? Um, what, was, what was the stage like for days? <laughs> well, I had always been performing um, one way or the other. It was with different groups around town, uh, different party bands. And uh, I was actually recording my own CD at the time. It was house music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so I had been doing performing for a while. I had my own group, a recording group called Deity, blah, blah, blah. And, you uh, were with Straight Ahead as well. And Straight Ahead, yeah. Straight Ahead was, thank you, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one gig's turned to the next gig mm -hmm. until you get an undisputed truth. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, uh, and so I had done a whole lot. A lot mm -hmm. of different genres, jazz, R&B, rap. I did it all. And so uh, this was just like it was ready for me to just jump in for me. And, and the feel of Undisputed Truth, and this is kind of back to you, Joe, like it's it's a mix of a lot of different things. And when I talked to uh, to Mr. Aldridge about it, he was like, you know, I generally don't work with R&B. And I told and b before the introduction when Bert was like, you need to meet this guy, you need to meet this guy. And I was thinking to myself, like, I, I don't know, like it definitely feels a little psychedelic. You, you made that point <laughs> of what Norman Whitfield was going for, but it's a little funk. Uh, it, it's a little so, but it definitely like has a pulse where a lot of the instrumentation and the arrangements always were uh, not in line step with the feel like that, you know, 
that 3-4-4-4 field, 2-4 field that we're used to with R&B all the time. So, let, so that's where it was. Where is it at now, especially on this project involving so many different musicians? Um, Daisy just pointed out straight ahead. I know Gaylene's worked on this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many others. Like, where is it at now with the Undisputed Truth sound? Well, Yeah, I mean, I know you you worked with, uh, in, when you speak hip-hop, uh, you worked with Kid Frost, you worked with, uh, I mean, so many people have worked with George Clinton, and George Clinton's worked with George Clinton, depending upon what, what, what state of mind and presence of mind is there. It's like, George, George. George Clinton to yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you did, uh, you even told me, like, that Simpsons episode with George Clinton. <laughs> A lot of that arrangement was right. Yeah, you know, so like um, having this feel of your musical journey from what started on the vision of Norman Whitfield and now coming back 360 back to the root of Undisputed Truth in Detroit, and 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 it was a vision to get back here to Detroit for this. That's what is it like? I mean, I, I think that was probably, maybe probably the, the best decision that I made in my whole career. Because it comes to, you know, when we started, when I started, this career was five years. Most artists, five years, and that was the end of it. Yeah. Very few artists, like the superstars, were around. Yeah. You know, but most artists, I mean, I know so many folks that were recording and out on the road, but, you know, they were here today, gone to yeah. You know, and to be able to uh, uh, to be continuing today, it's a method. And I learned a long time ago, well, I learned that normally once we started producing a lot of folks and new folks over there and the records, that it's about the people that you have. Now that that express that extends your career. If you're smart enough to put the right people around you, you might you might be in a role with the with the the, 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 the the home run hitter might be over in the next chair. Mm-hmm. She said it's about being able to support, and I always said that since this this combination is together, I mean, the the three of us were doing stuff for ten years, and I was sitting up, we were sitting up talking to the person, and I was 
asked him if he was. I said, what'd you think if I could get Brendan to come back in? Can you get that? Uh-huh. <laughs> I've been in it for a year now. Yay. There we go. There we go. Uh, anniversary again. It's sort of like, it's weird. It's like an anniversary now, again because. Yes. But now, the point yeah. I'm trying to make this before I got here, I was trying to put people together in Las Vegas and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I, I had come to a point that I didn't ever want to work with people because they were trying to do so many things and I knew that if you're not focused on what you're doing, it's just pop, it's just pop love. You, you had it, if you cracked, you, you had it for a five year spin, you know, and I don't look at it in time because I think music is timeless. I think that it's about personality. Mm-hmm. If you can sell your personality, you can sell a song. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I came up singing top four. And well, yeah. in the course of the show, I sang maybe 15 or 16 different folks, other folks' music and mm-hmm. try to make it yeah. better. Well, I mean, your, your, your story from our talks and what I know about you in, in my mind I mean, it, it's just a unique story. It's just a unique story from from what you did with the Peps uh, <laughs> to the Ohio players um, to so many other actions being in the studio. You know, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It was all about the, the other people. And if you notice, all those folks that you were talking about. Peps, the Ohio Bears, the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, I just have to be a part of that, and I like to win. Mm-hmm. You know, when you win, when I got to Norman Whitfield, when Norman came in uh, and asked me about being at forming a new group with him, I mean, I didn't hesitate. But I had just started with Nightlighters, uh, who ended up being Newberg for maybe, I would be together maybe six months after I was fired from the Ohio Players. So mm-hmm. I was I was on the rebound. All yeah, the yeah. But once I got with Norman, you know, there was nothing but positives. Mm-hmm. You know, and being in a group, you know, where everybody in the group as a participant was new to me because mm-hmm. when I was with the Peps, I did everything. I mean, they, Ronnie and Tommy sang. And mm-hmm. if you were singing with them, you, that's all you were going to do. I mean, I wanted to be singing with them, huh. and uh, so I did the, 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 the booking and, and took care of all the business and all those things because I felt like that that was helping me to be able to hang with these guys who had all of this talent, you know, and I couldn't even begin to imagine myself being as talented as one of them talent started. Now, but then, at that particular point in time, because I learned from them, mm-hmm. you know, from, from the Peps to the Ohio players, where if I was with the Ohio, the touching was first and we, the group broke up. And I was with Robert Ward on one side for about three or four months and then I ended up going with Satch with the Ohio players and we started doing some things with the Congress Productions. Now I think that uh, with the Ohio players, I got a little the negative thing there because they signed a contract with the company and I didn't sign. You know, I'm from Detroit and I knew about those contracts and uh, I didn't sign. So mm-hmm. that was the mark against me. So I, I didn't, it wasn't about my performance when I was fired. It was about intimidation. I was, I was a very intimidating person because mm-hmm. I was from Detroit. And I had all these ideas and all the things that they were breaking out, starting to do then, didn't have to Ohio players, when they were the Ohio players, they played by a change. 
think they listen to Mr. Pickett was the first when they, they recorded like on the Bobby Mr. Pickett. They played it out of Bobby Bland, they played with B.B. King, they played with all the big acts that would come through Dayton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. If they didn't have the band, they would come and do a show and they would take that band. So they was used to going around they would with the OJs. They played with a lot of acts. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to, when I got with the group, my idea was to do what we're doing now, make this group an act so that the musicians weren't just musicians, it was about personality. And then every, some of those, Sugarfoot never had a personality. I've never heard him hold a whole long conversation and used the room together. He was always <laughs> interested in his music. Mm -hmm. History, the only thing I'd ever seen him eat was a hamburger. That's right. Only thing for three years. Mm -hmm. So we started putting the, confusing ourselves together and personality started beginning to flow, and then the group became a little bit more progressive in the, in the sense that they were able to know who they were, bringing something instead of just backing other folks up. Mm -hmm. So after that, I used that kind of scenario when I'm forming this group here. I said, you know what I need to do? I need to have the personalities. I, and once Jackie came to the to California, and we trained, I took her in the studio and did some stuff with her, we were like, oh yeah, she's bringing this kind of a vibe. And it's not intimidating. In fact, it's always something that you could always lean on. Yeah. And then she uh, uh, turned me on to Daisy. I went and saw Daisy a couple of times at the casino sitting in the back. She never was in there. Uh -huh. And I was sitting there. I mean, I had, when I went the first time I went, I didn't tend to stay long because I, I used to do that for normal. I mean, I brought most of those artists that Norman had. He didn't go get them. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a couple of us. And then my partner, Benny Bell, and another guy. We, would, we went and searched artists for months I need a girls group. Mm -hmm. So we went and put a girls group together. We put the Star Guard together. Rose Royce. Mm -hmm. uh, Edward Starr and Rose Royce had fell out somewhere. And Ron Fair came and I said, well, I know a group, but you got to get them from Germany. <laughs> I said, Germany? She said, yeah, it was with Edward Starr. But they kind of fell apart and they stuck over there. So, uh, so okay. And I knew Edward Starr well. Yeah. So I said, if Edward Star had that band, they had to be a good band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Norman said, what you want to do? He said, you need a band? I said, let's get it. He said, I'm going to pay for it now, but you're going to pay for it. It's coming back out of yours when they get it. Uh -huh. and, and never never thought about it. He took it back. But I mean, ever since they came into the, the company, everything that we did as a company with them was positive. Everything, you know, was like, this was a piece of the puzzle that makes everything that I'm trying to do work. Now, you know? now, as you talk about putting those pieces of the puzzle together, and you touched on a lot, mm -hmm. but the consciousness of Undisputed Truth always having a message, and one of the people that worked with you early on with management and working in business, you worked right under in one, one of the first acts with Martha Jean the Queen, when she was working. And the messaging that she was putting into everything she was saying as I, I was talking to like a group of a group of high schoolers today about like who Martha Jean the Queen was and like what was so unique about having that voice in Detroit at a time and everyone listening and, and with a, with like consciousness of uh, of awakening spirits of people that are like of the community and in the community you know what what I guess a lot of people sometimes I think think of what Oprah represents to some people right. you know I think Martha Jean was like more sincerely 
balance their faith. And I'm not necessarily saying that Oprah's not. No, but no. she was. I would say the same thing. But she was street level. Martha Jean would go in the streets. Mm-hmm. She would go right there. Oprah, Oprah used her platform. Yeah, radio and all and that celebrity. That was her. Martha Jean had the same platform, but she took it to the streets. And every time that she would appear, well, I mean, we went to Memphis to do uh, uh, the concert for WDAS, and that was a, the night that Elvis Redding got killed. So when we got to Memphis, you know, it was really solid. We did the show anyway, and all those folks in Memphis, everybody was just down. You know? mm-hmm. And at the end of that, uh, that was the only reason why we came. We did that, and on our own, when we were coming back, my manager said, P. Hall at that time, Roger Brown, who was with the Detroit Lions, said, we, we, we're bringing Martha Jean back to Detroit. Okay, so I stayed over a couple of days, and we were back together. And Martha Jean, wow, I mean, I was, in the, I was in the music business, and when Martha Jean became a part of what we were doing, it became the people business, you know, because everything that she was talking about was about people, you know, you can't just say, throw yourself in the bucket of business and then in and out, whoever it is. Mm-hmm. With somebody, you need to have a focus, and everybody, you know, focuses on the same key. And I started picking those things up, and then the first, that was the first time in my career where I started, well, I actually started getting some help. In other words, I didn't have to do anything but perform. Mm-hmm. You know, Martha Jean took care of it. Before I decided to work on I had to get a release from Martha Jean. Yeah. And she did that with her blessings, you know, because I know that they spent a lot of time and energy and finances. Every place that she appeared when she first got here for the first two or three years, the pets were there with her. So we took all our popularity and put it in the pocket of my gene, and together we kind of we made a difference. You know, but I mean, I'd have to say that at that particular point in time in my career, I think when I was talking earlier about how five years now, after those years that I had been with, Martha Jean came in and was our turn. So we, were, we started riding on the wave of the turn with Martha Jean, giving us the platform to be able to showcase what we were doing with somebody that was already up there and still up and coming in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And her message became a part of our messages. Everywhere we would go, we started using impression songs. I keep mm-hmm. on pushing <laughs> and trying. It's all right. All those were theme songs for Martha Jean. Mm-hmm. And she took those songs and used them in another way. And I started using those same kind of themes when we started performing and, it's, and recording. I was like, you know, why would we just write a song and record it and say, put it on the album? Let's think about what we're going to do. Okay. And that's kind of what we're doing today. And, and, and I bring that up because today, I mean, you've worked with so many impactful people. And, and I know he's not saying much, but Mr. Aldridge himself. Um, and and his history is so rich to to the point like uh, when I was talking to him and he was talking about just some of his story of uh, you know his father that you know with, with I mean knew Malcolm X debating with Malcolm X in the barbershop and um, a mother that worked as a sister right alongside Dorothy Height you know and and uh, seeing the pulse of of so much of the changes within Detroit, uh, the organization of of 
of the the, the the teams of people that were bringing people like you know Paul Robeson and so many of these other people that now had a platform to, to touch people like the Armand Hendersons and um, the Coleman Youngs, the Ken Cockrell Seniors, um, working alongside like so many of these different theories. Uh, and now his mind is like, okay, the music and the message can touch so many people. And this is the project because Dan's not, uh, as he's sitting here, I mean, he, he if he chooses to move, it's, it's a move that he's choosing to play. Like, he's definitely playing chess. So being that he's committed himself to this, it's it's in that same vein of Norman. Uh, you know, Martha Jean, the Queen, so many others. You know, and he's about to speak now. Well, I think what is key is, you know, is Joe Pep. The unique thing about the Undisputed Truth, there's a group with a message and a group with commitment. And this goes all the way back to, um, for me, to the Philadelphia, Philadelphia International. You know, you had Gamble and Huff. Um, and they were doing their thing in, uh, what was it, Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. But most people don't know that I was working with um, a fellow in SNCC named George Washington Ware. And he left SNCC and went up to Philadelphia to work with them to help put the feeling into the music, the conscience into the music. He wanted to have a music that was different than Motown. Barry made a decision not to deal with consciousness. George said, look, we need, this music is too important. We need consciousness in the music. And so he left SNCC and went and became an associate with uh, Kenny Gavin and Leon Huff and they formed they formed a group called what, something like the Black uh, the Black something where Kenny Gamble was trying to organize all the uh, uh, black entertainers, and that's where you get you get um, the OJs, you get all different kinds of sound, you get Billy Paul, you get different kinds of things. I saw the power in what he was doing, and told by working with Joe that we could unite my experience in the movement and with jazz with his experience with rhythm and blues and just with, just with music and culture in general and that we were really part of the same thing had the same vision and was doing the same thing in a different manner uh, we had a mutual friend uh, George Ramsey who was the um, road manager for the originals who introduced us and said man you guys will be working together and after one conversation I think it made sense to both of us to do it so um, I see this as a, as a merger, as a marriage, really, between um, two or three major aspects of black culture coming together and having a significant impact. And, and work with singers like um, BJ, uh, Jackie, and Daisy, who have the kind of vo voices and the feeling in their voices. When you hear these songs, you don't just hear singing, because there are a lot of singers, but you hear feeling, you hear you hear community, hear story, and black music and R&B fundamentally has been about story, and that's what was significant to me. It made R&B music more powerful to me than jazz, because while like the sound of jazz, R&B music told the story, like the blues, they told the story mm -hmm. of our people. Okay, so this this is all uh, impactful. 
And Joe, you're you're you've been in this driver's seat of seeing so much. I mean, getting a Grammy in '71, and uh, this is at at a time, and we've talked about this before. You know, um, the 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 presence of mind in, in the hearts of Black America, America in general, being at war. Uh, it was just a, a, a state of uh, it was a state of uh, yeah, yeah a ball of confusion yeah let's, let's put it yeah Norman said it best so so with that in today 360 back to like some of these same narratives you know uh, presenting themselves again and you're putting more effort in this time around creatively from top to bottom than ever before. What What's that like? Well, I, I, I think that uh, in this particular point in time in my life, I think that my message is to be able to uh, express, teach the things that I have learned through music and being and to give voice back to where it was so that it could help us. Had I not heard a lot of the music when I was coming up about the world, I wouldn't have known a lot about it. I mean, a lot of things that I did hear about and learn through music or felt like I knew through music, it kind of prepared me for the world, which just kind of had me to be cautious, but at the same time, to be visioned, to see, to see, to know what's going on, because that was all a part of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like uh, they used to have a commercial and say, thank you, Boston. <laughs> you know, you got to know where you are, where you perform, what mm-hmm. it is that the people are about. Mm-hmm. And today, I think that uh, before we were talking about messages, and those messages were coming from Curtis Mayfield, along with all with the Martin Gay, mm-hmm. uh, Billy Paul, mm-hmm. uh, Kenny Gamble, and me, I love black. And I found that there was a, a, a home there in that type of musical expression. In fact, like I was over here, I was listening to some music on the radio today. And I asked her, I said, you know, it's, you know, I could tell that whoever it was, she was in the system where there are so many black artists today that have the luxury of having a corporation to promote them. You know, so whatever it is that they want, you know, they play, and I knew that voice, but I couldn't put the name on who it was, but she could sing. But what she was singing about, I was like, how come we can't get records on the this? You know, and DJ uh, said, well, I don't know who that is. So I, 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 but I was saying that because I was listening to uh, uh, 96, the Gail Hewley show, you know, and they play mostly oldies, but this was a new record, you know, and I, and I was trying to figure out you know, we fixing to release the record, you know, the CD. I was trying to figure out, well, what is the, you know, how do you qualify? You know, if this is her release and these are the things that are out there, I'm not an A&R guy. That might happen. But I'm not an A&R guy. I'm just there on the radio because, you know, we used to just listen to the radio and say, okay, if they can do that, take some of this. You yeah. Know? But, I mean, that was nothing inspiring about it. Just another song that's been programmed. It was not, yes. it's, it's contrary to what we do. We use the musicians. We're going back to what we used to do. 
yeah. we can express ourselves. And this music could be around forever. Mm -hmm. See, so today, I'm trying to, and that's what, that's what our concept is. I mean, I got some, the undisputed truth, truth today is a little Daisy, a little Jackie, a little BJ, a little Ben. And whatever we can combine that with all the experiences that we have, we know music. So we put it in, trying to tell it in such a way where it's, it's exclusive to us. Folks are saying, well, you know, you guys, you know, you know, sound good, and you know, you know, but you don't have that show. I knew that. Our show was just us showing up. But we had to be able to get to a point where these ladies were being able to sing songs that they were recorded with an intent, and that intent is to take it to the stage. It's very hard today to, when I go to a show and see folks singing music that was recorded or shows that I saw within 50 years ago. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I could do some of that, but I don't want that to be my objective. You know, I think that all of that is denigrating the fact that we are the creators of all this music. Mm -hmm. So why would we have to go back and sit back in the, in the olden days mm -hmm. with it, where people today have new minds, new experiences, much, much more opportunities to express their talent than we did. But we don't have the, the ability to take it to the radio. We go through the radio, folks look at us crazy and say, well, you know, we, we want to interview you, but we can't play that. I mean, I, I heard Eddie LeBert on Facebook saying the same thing. I was like, you know what? They can try to shut us down, but they can't shut us out. Because if you look at it today and you read about the music business today, old music is out selling the new music. New music. And the only way, the only thing that new music is doing today is they're getting the first crack at streaming. But some of the people out there don't understand, and a lot of the record companies are paying for a lot of that success. You see a guy with millions and millions of pre-sales and pre-orders, there's no marketing now that they used to play, pay to the street vendors and guys on the streets that took music around to the record companies with the money. They pay for all the pre-orders, give them away. Well, it's uh, it's due to it's due to so many factors, um, but even like messaging in society itself, like even young people, and you know how much I mean me performing hip hop, but like I'm a I'm an old rapper because I think hip hop is definitely uh, a genre of young people, and I still perform here and there, but it's different. But young guys are always coming up to me and saying like, help me, help me produce this, help me produce that, and then I ask them, I say, what's the last time you bought a rap album? And then they look at me like I just asked them, uh, can you tell me, you know, how to buy tickets to heaven? Because they haven't even thought about it. So the 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 mediums that we're talking about where where music is now being disposed and almost used as like a commercial for whatever uh, products, messages, services, uh, lifestyles to sell. Is uh, the prevalence of uh, different forms of drug use, the prevalence of uh, coping with depression, uh, exploitation of women, uh, violence, um, materialism, like all of these, like uh, all of the excessive thought processes in, in, in like uh, animalistic behaviors. Are like being triggered through music. Like it's it's like a long commercial for um, for uh, an existence that 
is missing so much of the context even behind some of these stories. Yeah, that's what that's how I see it. When you hear the music that you're doing now, you're gonna be able to see it. Yeah, because it's just not. It's not having something to say. And I was listening to some of it today, and it's it's very, very well produced, uh, very clean. Uh, really good feelings. Uh, I, I think that a synergy even between the musicians alone as you bring more people to the pot uh, with intentionality, not just necessarily like, you know, eh, this person paid me, you know, $300 day for the session, so it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? I could be, you know, doing something else, but you, you have seasoned musicians that are intentional about being on this project as opposed to uh, working with musicians because like in the same way that you said like uh, you got sick of working with some people um, the art form itself can become one of those things you know it's, it's people that are in like 25 different bands you know what I'm saying it's like you know they'll, you'll go to a festival and they'll be they'll be on the stage and they'll be like oh I gotta run to this you know and it's like damn dude how many people you playing guitar with you know so how much how much presence of mind can you really put into this music that we're doing if you thinking, honey, 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 you know, yeah, our beats and these come up, I'm gonna walk away with eight hundred dollars before the end of the weekend, you know. So your mind isn't even focused on where the music is coming from. And I bring this up even with the 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 the, the thought process of one of the biggest people as you talk about, like you don't even know your the impacts you've had, but the impacts you had on Butch has went into as as he's like the godfather of Detroit rap with what he did with World One Records. In his in his thought process, you always get the best equipment. You always do it this way. You always do it that way. If you don't, if you don't come with this, but all of this is like trickling down. Is you don't know the the impact that you have on so many others. So through his son touching all the other Detroit rappers is like it's like uh, DJ Lopes is an OG. You know what I'm saying? You and Norman touched him. He touched his son. His son touches everybody else. I look up to both of them. And I'm relaying, well, okay, if you really want to do this, this is the methodology that you need to go about. And it's still being implemented. Now, getting that message of what you're talking about is is where that connection does need to be, you know, brought back to fruition. You know, um, and... And as you're thinking out the visuals of today, the, the distribution of today, I really do think it'll be people such as myself connecting, as you say, the people thing, and me connecting more people uh, that I know, because some of the people I know, we're, we're, we love these tools. I, I love this podcasting and, 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 and websites and smartphone apps. And, and then some of the people I know. And then instead of looking at it in the box of which how we see music, we need to look at this in the box of what we see as an experience itself. That's it. That's it. And then, and, 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 and this situation here, as, as much as it is a, a new experience for each other, you say it's just as new for me. Uh-huh. It's easier for me to produce somebody else, you know, when I'm getting paid to do it. I mean, yeah. I can be as professional as I can get. Yeah. But when we had a strain and struggle together, you know, it's like, like, can I lean on you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we stand up together. 
and, and it's because we want to say something in the music that we do. It's because we want, you know, I mean, I had a, I had a time when I had nothing to do but sit and look at and play songs on YouTube and read the, the little messages that folks play. And one of the most common uh, lines that I would hear folks writing about our music and the music of that time is, how come we don't hear that music? I like that kind of music. How come nobody's making that music? How come they don't play that kind of stuff? So, but they you know, they told me something that I already knew. Mm -hmm. that this music is hard to beat. When you can't beat it, you try to shut it down. Ain't no way. We're shut down from the radio, so all your listeners know that all this, this Detroit has so much talent. There is so many people in this town that have the ability, but they don't have the tools or the support. Mm -hmm. Now, my what happened today and our, our concept was very simple. If we can do it, if we get the opportunity to do it, let's do it because when people see somebody doing it, they know that they can do it too. Yeah. See, if Barry Gordy was still in this town with the vision and he still has a lot of energy yeah. that I has now, he would be killing the world. Mm -hmm. Because there, who do you compete with? Mm -hmm. Who do you compete with? There's nobody out there to compete with. Because they haven't had the the, the 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 history of going to the Apollo Theater, being on the show with the OJs, the Dells, the Temptations, the the, the the Dramatics, and all those and other people like that, and everybody trying to get over. Mm -hmm. And you have to do six and seven shows a day, and every show you got to stay. Every show, you got to come off that stage and everybody's high five you. You come off the stage and no one says anything, you know that you got that show. <laughs> See, and for us, we, when I was going on, when I was at that particular point in time in my career, I was with the Peps. We didn't have a hit record, but we, when we had a, the ability to get to that stage, man, <laughs> you can have the number one record in the world, you know, where you are. I mean, that was our concept. One person, but that's how we wanted to. We wanted to come to to the next theater. All these guys had records on the radio, so they need their power going to the Howard and then to the Regal. We had people like Martha Jean and Pete Hall who had connections, so we were able to move around like that. That's how we got it. Well, we went to the Apollo with Chuck Jackson. He took us, but he found us after the first week. We ended up doing three weeks in a row in the Apollo. At that time. We had no name, but we were opening the shows, and they were hiring us to come back and open the show. And then the next show come in with Tommy Hunt and Honeycombs, who was the stage manager. Then he went into Bobby Shepard and said, "These guys can't open the show because if they open it, the show's gonna be over." So he had to real seriously. <laughs> he had to rearrange the show, so we started legitimately being a part of the show. We weren't just there hiding that they're going to use us to open. We're opening. We're opening. A lot of folks didn't want to be first. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and a lot of folks that are around today that were there to tell you, to tell you, say, uh-oh. Yeah. Who, on the, who, who coming on behind them? Well, I mean, you, <laughs> I mean, as we, as we talk about one of the... One of the things that really kind of puts you on the map is your definitely is performing. I mean, your your ability to give 
the closest thing to James Brown with James Brown feel. You know that that was what most people were like. That was it. James Brown. He was the he was the prototype to get up to get up and get out. James Brown, because you didn't. All you had to do was be yourself and be able to dance. Mm-hmm. If you can be yourself and be able to dance and have a personality, you were the king of the world. Yeah. Because there were thousand James Brown. James Brown, in fact, at one time tried to hire. Well, he wanted to hire the cops. I mean, maybe make that offer. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, you, know, we, you know, we were from Detroit. We, we come around, we were around a lot of folks that were making it. You know, they walked out with mm-hmm. a recording with Barry and other record companies, and they made it. So we knew that there was a, a chance for that we had an opportunity to be somebody ourselves. They want to be with the uh, planes or a couple of other groups that we were uh, asked to be a part of. Hmm. You know, so, uh, but I think the reason I came back to Detroit was to get that vibe. It's nowhere else. That vibe is only in Detroit. Just going down to Burt's for the first couple of years, just sitting down watching folks and singing all those songs from the past. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and, and the, the enthusiasm that they were bringing to just to be able to perform, you know, kind of make me stop. I want to be a part of that. And then, the, and then the, the, one of the major things that we did together, the, two, the, the three of us over before DJ came out, we were inducted into the Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame. Yeah. And the guy that was running at the time, you know, he was uh, Jerry Butler, uh, a bunch of uh, other artists were supposed to be on the show. Jerry Butler got sick. Mm. So they wanted to do a tribute to Jerry Butler. And he came to me. To me. I didn't even know nothing about him. He said, um. And he said, well, we're going to do a tribute to Jerry Button. Mm. So I did the Jerry Button, we put a, a Jerry Button tribute together. Mm-hmm. And everywhere I go, folks that are there, that's all they talk about is that induction. Mm. You know, oh, you, we want to hire you out to do the show, but you got to do that Jerry Button stuff too. Mm. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to see, people didn't know that. The Peps were the impressions. We were the the the, um, the, the, the flames. We were the, did some Jackie. We were we were all those groups yeah. that flipped and spinned and mm-hmm. did, did skits and all those things. That Daisy Love's uncle was one of our mentors. C.P. Spencer, who was with the originals. When I met him, he was with the, uh, the Spinners mm. and the Royal Jokers. Uh, first time we had... I never even heard of the Royal Jokers. That is an old school <laughs> band name, if you're never with <laughs> oh, I'm telling yeah. you. And when we went saw them perform, we was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. they had skits, you know, and we was coming out. I mean, I was, was back in the early Yeah. Early <laughs> back there. But, you know, we were coming out of... Uh, the Brewster Projects, we hadn't seen anything, but these guys had been around and they knew something, so we watched them. Hmm. And then we picked up little things that they did, and when we went to Ohio Untouchables, we did some of the skits from the, the, the Royal Jokers, uh-huh. and we were instant instant hits, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so we played on all of that. We need what's missing, and that's our personality. That's our, that's our blackness, that's what we are. That we are music. 
we are music. We we is music. How do you know? Mm -hmm. yes. right? <laughs> but I mean, we need that. And when I was leaving California, a lot of friends of mine who were there when I told them I was coming back to Detroit, uh -huh. they would pitch and and say, oh, well, that's probably the only place that you can go right now and do what you're trying to do. Detroit. Yeah. Detroit might be the place that be able to save our music. Hmm. You know, I mean, if we're having problems here in Detroit, I go to the radio station now, I mean, I hear... I, I, I think that the, 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 the whole... Uh, the whole industry of radio itself is so corporate right now. Like it, it's the, it's so antiquated. I mean, the freedom of those DJs that like, I mean, would be more so coming up like a mo like a DJ being able to create their own playlist. A DJ may, and you know, this is for whoever's listening. So basically, if a DJ has a four-hour show, uh, Monday through Friday, so that's uh, so the, that's twenty hours of radio, and of that twenty hours of radio, let's say they play sixteen hours of music of commercials in that 16 hours of music they may only be able to program maybe 10 minutes of that and i'd be so and then even of those 10 minutes it's probably like a selected list of songs to pick from to even pick your music that you can pick you know so it's it's wild you know Getting, getting back to what you were saying, though, I really think that um, what you were saying before about how music is being manipulated to manipulate. And I do believe that music is a language that reaches everybody, and somebody corporate discovered that. And it, in order for us to get what we had back or get into... I think we have to understand how important music is. Every movement, every celebration, every holiday has specific music that people remember. I can remember back, you know, when I was a little girl hearing this song or what, you, but it's almost akin to being a doctor. When you what we do as musicians is so important in the whole of humanity is so important and we once we understand that and um and embrace it and continue on doing what we used to do we'll be all right our our little cultural link in the human chain is going to be strengthened again I believe that music is that powerful. Uh, I do think that music plays a very key role in the fabric of definitely our people as black people, but culture itself. Um, and uh, as, as we're wrapping up this interview, the, and I'm going to play some of the music in this podcast what i want you all just to actually you know all four of you i want you all to just give a brief description of what people are going to get with the experience of this music today and we can start with let's see bj's name is bj <laughs> so i'm gonna say bj yeah what are people gonna get start with bj okay um i know people are gonna expect for us to sound um, like we did 
40 years ago. Well, that's not going to happen. This is the new, improved, undisputed truth. What we are giving you is jazz, a little bit of R&B. Um, I consider some of it on the borderline of gospel. I would like to put in some rock. We're coming from all directions, and I don't want you to label us or assume that um, we're not going to give you what you want, because I guarantee you when you hear these songs, you are going to be so proud of us. The fans from a long time ago, you are going to be so proud of the new Undisputed Truth. And I'm telling you, our three-part harmony, huh, <laughs> we, we got something for you. I'm telling you, I have never experienced the harmony that I feel when I sing with Jackie and Daisy. It, it, it reminds me of a long time ago when I used to do studio work and got paid for it. I just love these girls and I am so proud of Joe taking the rim. I had to look at him for a minute and like, is this the Joe that I sung with a long time ago? <laughs> Telling me what to do? <laughs> and then I had to realize, yes, he has never stopped doing music. I stopped. So I had to come back and reprogram myself to get it together. So I'm just saying, um, for those that are expecting us to be what we were a long time ago, it's, it's way better. It's so much better. And that's, and that's where I, how I feel. Jackie? Yes, BJ. I am so excited about the music. It's, yeah, we, we, it's got a base of, a foundation, I'd say, of R&B soul. But in each song, you may hear more of an influence of um, R&B. You may hear more of an influence of rock. You may hear more of an influence of, you know, sprinkled in with the R&B and soul. Um, and what's cool, I, I remember talking with Mr. Aldrich, and we were saying how it's really important to, that music is danceable, too. So, and which is important to me. I'm, I, I used to dance, I, you know, I, that, um, before I sang, I danced. So we have songs that you can move to, that you can listen to, that you can learn from. That's, and, I, and again, just like BJ was sharing, these folks right here, not only, you can hear the kinship in the harmony, you can hear it. We love each other. We but blend and bond so well because we, that's what we are. We're family. And you can hear it in that music. And I think that's a missing part of uh, things you don't feel. These, You know, I haven't heard that or felt that in a long time in, in most music. I can't say all music. I've heard some great music. But having a group feel, the, feel like the music mm -hmm. and be the music family it feels like family and it, it feels good sounds good movable danceable and great <laughs> messages okay 
All right, Daisy. Hey. Hey. <laughs> well, I think the music is universal. And the reason I say universal is because uh, there are influence of jazz, rock. You got some R&B. You got a little funk in there. Would funk be considered R&B? I don't know. I give it its own genre. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's funk like you, nowadays you, does you, its own thing. Right? Funk, yeah, funk, funk is. Uh-huh. Funk. Uh oh, okay, see? I mean, the, the, the Commodores <laughs> came very close with, in the early area. Yeah. Not, yeah. Later on, there's some fun groups. But yeah. We just talking about childhood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got some more folk mix, but continue. All yeah, right. but I think the music is, is universal, and, and it will touch everybody that listens to it, almost like in comparison of smiling faces. This is one song on there, I was like, whoa. I could see the, us opening up for a rock group with that song because mm -hmm. it, it takes a turn. It doesn't, it's not what you expect. And it is so new, undisputed truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love it. I love working with everybody here because I learn from everybody. <laughs> Jackie and BJ. And BJ's the mama. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's the mama. Big sis. <laughs> the big, big sis. sis. But uh, it's, it's just really well. And, what Jackie said about when we got together and we started singing together, uh -huh. it was like ABC. Mm -hmm. It was just supposed to happen. Wow. And um, it doesn't matter what we're recording. <laughs> the harmonies always fall in line. Great. And uh, so I think that's definitely, it's, it's a plus for me working with people who know what to do because half the time I seem confused. <laughs> Joe know. <laughs> no, but, she knows what she's doing. Uh, Joe jo know. Singing vessel. Don't listen yes. to her. <laughs> she, don't, says, don't. she says that, the, like me, I used to say it when I was singing with uh, mm -hmm. BJ and, and, and to tell you, just to give you some information, BJ sang on the underdog side, still delivered. Mm -hmm. Ain't no mountain high enough. Mm -hmm. Still waters run deep and many, many more Motown records from wow. Valerie Simpson. If you record it, you're in the studio with Nick and Valerie mm -hmm. and Joe Armstead, you have to be doing this. Oh, yes. You have to have some uniqueness about your voice, your intonation, your delivery, your concept. Because Valerie Simpson and Nick and Valerie Simpson were, I mean, oh, at that particular time, they were singers, producers, writers, all in one, which mm. most groups at that time only sang. Mm. See, so, I mean, some of the songs that they were writing and producing, yeah. you know, uh, all that makes a difference. And in combination to what all three of those said, I. I would not be doing this if I had these personalities. I couldn't do I it. I feel you. I feel you. I couldn't do it because, you know, first of all, I never did this for the fame and the fortune. I just wanted to be on the radio. I wanted to go <laughs> home and hear my record and say, oh, that's me on the radio, you know? And when Smiling Faces became number one and we were traveling around the, the world and we were hearing this song every hour, on the hour, I mean, I just couldn't, I had no room to smile anymore. I mean, my face just did that all the time, just uh -huh. for that. So, so now I feel like that, that this is a situation that is unlimited. When, uh, Daisy says some of the things about 
in the studio recording, I did the same thing because I was a lead singer. I was not part of the background. I learned background with Billy and Brenda. Mm -hmm. I had to. I had no choice. It was only three of us up there. Uh -huh. You know, so I had to learn it and I had to be able to express it. I'm talking about proper mm -hmm. backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Now with the peps, we were spontaneous. I mean, we. One thing I did that I had when we were uh, being inducted into the Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame, and I was telling the folks that I was with the Peps almost eight years. We never rehearsed. We never rehearsed. Tommy Stone was such a powerful and unique singer with so much personality. When you step on stage with him, you had to fall in place. Mm -hmm. You couldn't. You had to feel your way, and it was only two of us singing backup when any mm -hmm. one of us was singing. So we had to create and be created um, instantly. Mm -hmm. So, so that taught me a lot of things about being a performer. Mm -hmm. You know, it taught me a lot of things about who I was and how. I could get the best out of myself. A lot of folks just sing, say, what note you gonna sing? What part you gonna sing? I mean, all these songs I've produced, and, and mm -hmm. I can tell you who sang first soprano, who sang alto, mm -hmm. I never knew. I was like, who part was that? Mm -hmm. Who sang that part, you know? And it was always, oh, Jack, Jackie doing, Jackie doing that? Oh, okay, so I take it like it did. Because you have to feel what you're trying to convey. And I stand back and let them feel amongst themselves. And when I'm a part of singing stuff in the background with them, I let Paisley or DJ feel me and do that part, do this part. So it took that, that part of being able to be a participant in a group, especially a group with ambition. Mm -hmm. You know, now, we're not no spring chickens, but I think I've had the best group of people for the circumstances and the time mm -hmm. that I could ever do. That's great. Me too. I feel the same way. That's great. Hi. So that's powerful. With that being said, you all know as uh, Joe is definitely one of uh, uh, one of my big homies. Dan is well as oh man, as Evans. It seems like you will join that family tree. <laughs> yes. Of the big homies, as I can't wait. When we get off air, I'm, we're gonna have to get the. I'm, I'm gonna ask but when I talk to Butch. I at least talk to him like once a month or something. <laughs> well, that's gonna be topic of discussion, and we gotta bring this all together. People will hear the music, they'll experience it, and they're gonna follow you guys' journey on Detroit is different. And Detroit is different will be in effect as you all will get an opportunity to experience something that you need to experience. Thank you all so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.